into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Thank you for tuning in to Pod Damn America. Anders Lee here with my loyal left-hand man, Alex Patak. War correspondent Alex Patak here. Thanks for tuning in. Jake is uh, on the road currently um, with us in spirit, of course. Uh, mm. We are speaking it's another today. one of these. One of your favorites. That's right. He's on the road, and we're spinning the globe. We are talking international intrigue issues of global import um that's what when they call he's out importation of the way, we can, yeah yeah when he's out of the way we can get our hands into like the nitty-gritty now that we've, right. we've really had our uh, wrists untied we can get our full full fingers in the meat of today's issues i, I do wonder when we record these like Who's going nuts for the Alexander's intros? I mean, uh, all the real heads who remember our the <laughs> online radio show that will remain nameless. We'll remain, from don't back look it in up. The day. <laughs> don't look it up and then tell me it was bad. I don't want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> it's been five. If you did the effort to go find my radio show from 2016, keep it to yourself, buddy. Right. It's you your freak. Fault. But uh, we are speaking today on the heels of well this is a hurricane brewing it's already here in dc it feels like and i hear it's coming to up up traveling north to you uh but there is a hurricane in the world of um gig apps that's right, right now Anders. on the other coast california which uh, had a court overrule prop 22 which is a v big deal i think the law california passed to make uh, gig drivers, uh, legal cattle that you can brand with an iron and sell for meat. Right. And they're already basically, before this ruling, which was very recent, they were already coming up with carbon copies to shove down the throats of other states, Massachusetts being one. Um, but this hopefully will be a, a backstop to that. So sort of push back against it because it – it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And a lot of this, unfortunately, I think depends on the recall election there because there's a strong possibility that one Larry Elder, libertarian lunatic, uh, could be elected governor of California, in which case he will do everything he can to um, enforce Prop 22 type laws or you know make sure that workers have – as little rights as possible. He said recently the minimum wage ideally should be zero. Um, right. But if it's Newsom, he is uh, a you know terrible person in many respects and governor, but uh, because it's California, big labor there has, as imperfect that as it is, has a foothold in state politics. And they were uh, very adamant in opposing Prop 22 and in helped pass the law that Prop 22 was meant to sort of uh, undo, um, which was a law saying the opposite, that gig workers ultimately had to become employees, regular employees of these companies and receive right. the same rights 
as all other workers. And uh, right. now I think the question is if that is going to go into effect because the the, peer, the date – the law was passed the legislature. The date it was supposed to go into effect was like the day after Prop 22 – the referendum was passed. Anything could happen now. And that's why yeah. they call it a corporate hurricane. You never know what's going to be picked up and rammed through your sternum. That's right. Especially in the old Bay State of Massachusetts. Do you think the people of Massachusetts will be wise to a similar uh, agenda item? Uh, are they going to go for it? I mean, it's interesting that they're choosing true blue states to to try this stuff in. Uh, similar to a only Nixon can go to China situation, if you want to pass your new dystopia uh, libertarian nightmare, always go to a liberal state. They are eager to prove, especially Massachusetts, whose favorite thing is electing a Republican governor from my hometown, by the way, represent. Mitt Romney is from your hometown? No, uh, Charlie Baker. Oh, he's a Republican? I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, you know why you don't know it, because he's a Republican in Massachusetts. They love, they're very, and I heard this a lot growing up, they're drunk on the idea of like, well, we're, there's a lot of lefties around here, so we ought to elect a Republican to keep things in order, you know? The system works. Let's not go crazy. That's the big prevailing energy over there. And just to uh, make sure they're not seen as too loosey-goosey, they will... Enact a law that says uh, the Irish are now actually slaves for real. <laughs> no joking this time. It's interesting because the last time I was in Massachusetts was 2008, summer of 2008. What a year. Of the Obama election. Yeah, it's funny how when we think of the year 2008, we just, Obama, that's like Obama. pervades everyone's memory. Yeah, but in I was in Massachusetts and I saw by far more Re- McCain slash just Republican bumper stickers. Because, you know, they're outnumbered, what, like 10 to 1 or something like that, but they're much more vocal. Like, I remember one saying, I stand with President Bush, and this is when his approval rating was, like, so low, even even lower than Trump's. If you're a listener in a red state, it's a perfect analogy. If if you're a conservative in Massachusetts, you're just like the liberals in Louisiana or whatever. You let everyone know what's up (laughs) just because somebody has to be saying it, and the rest of us are all scientists. Yes, well, that bumper sticker said, I stand with President Bush. You know who did stand with President Bush at that time is Joe anyway. Biden, but he does not quite stand with that mission today because he has withdrawn from Afghanistan, where President Bush sent the troops. And uh, you didn't believe in him. You didn't get the ice cream with Joe because he didn't fill out your your lefty check boxes. And now here he is doing Marxist activism. I hope you're happy. Um, It is refreshing to see this happen. Uh, I mean, there's been ad nauseum discussion about, you know, why Biden is the guy who who can go and uh, go against the deep state and just his quirky personality uh, playing off in a way that maybe somebody else couldn't do it. Uh, I have not seen the corporate press this united since Bernie Sanders left the presidential election. It is right. the most frightening phenomenon in American politics when everyone shuts up and gets on the side of cash really, like, right away. Yeah. I mean, imagine if Bernie Sanders was the one who fucking did this. I mean, which is, I would hope, yeah, is what would have happened. Do you think um, they're going to get Joe? Do you think you're going to get Joe? I don't think they're going to get Joe be- because here's the thing about Joe. And He's I, so old. I mean, it would be so easy. 
Right. I mean, he's probably, yeah, he's probably going to either die or retire in the next couple of years, and then the next president may recommit troops to Afghanistan or something. Um, but here's the thing about Joe. I feel like people are sort of missing in this, because it's not that surprising when you look at the full context of his career. And if you think back to when he was vice president, he was the one saying to Obama, I've seen president after president be duped by generals, like the ones who were advising you. Uh, and this this isn't going to work. We're not going to get anything. You got to get out. That was reported. And when he was vice president um, and Obama either didn't listen or said that's you're absolutely right but i'm the first black president and i can't do it although i think after bin laden was killed that would have been like the perfect time politically speaking to withdraw you're telling me barack obama could have done a liberal thing but actually chose to do a republican thing yes i am yeah he probably planned he was like well i got an election coming up the next year and then the next year is like well i'm doing all this other stuff with Iran, so I can't afford to withdraw from Afghanistan. Anyway, point being, Joe Biden, if you study the full swath of his career, and we did an episode about this like a year ago, about uh, Yesterday's Man by Bronco Marchichek. Uh, he has... That's right. He had, for a very long time, Vietnam Syndrome. Uh, and if you think about it, or the Iraq war is really the exception to the rule with Joe Biden's career because he was against the Gulf War because uh, it was an invasion. And this and very important caveat to this is that does not. So to explain Vietnam syndrome um, in the 60s, a lot of baby boomers right. were being politicized and became Quickly Google Vietnam. It's actually a really big deal. <laughs> well, but Vietnam syndrome is an interesting phenomenon that I think is somewhat overlooked because there's sort of two responses on the left anyway to to Vietnam. There are a lot of people who reach the conclusion we have, which is that U.S. is an evil empire and colonialism is wrong and fuck America. Uh, and then there are other people. We have a podcast with a rat on it. Right. right. And there are other people like Joe Biden who said – this was a bad war. This was a clunky war. This is a stupid war. We have to, from going, from now on, we have to make sure we don't get bogged down in a ground invasion like this. And that explains uh, the Gary Hearts of the world who was saying things like in the 80s, let's withdraw from Germany and Japan even. And uh, up through Iraq, they were very skeptical of ground invasions, not of empire at large and that's an important distinction joe biden is not an anti-imperialist he just believes in a smarter slicker empire which i don't know if that's possible i don't think it is not many people left alive do but right. luckily this is the one benefit of him being 500 years old is that's you right. can't change his mind about anything and he's already said he's doing it <laughs> Uh, but to watch every mom and pop uh, uh, newspaper in America line up to get him lynched from it, uh, it does segue very nicely into what we're talking about today, which is the treatment of the media into people who decide to go against the military industrial complex and what happens to them in terms of public image. Right. It ain't pretty, folks. Uh, but yes, let us go to our interview with the one and only Muhammad Elmazi, who will fill us in. Uh, you know, we haven't talked a lot about whistleblowers on this show, and that is because we respect 
listeners your ears, and that can it can be very tough to hear a whistle being blown through because of the earbuds. Whistle. Right, but we are. We have so many listeners who are dogs. <laughs> So brace yourselves, because this is a shocking, revelatory interview about the facts of the Julian Assange case and press freedom in general. Let's go to the tape. Joining us now from the Kingdom United, we have the one and only Mohammed Elmazi. He is a journalist, extraordinaire, investigative uh, he's freelance. He's published with numerous outlets, including the Dissenter, Jacobin, the Canary, and the Electronic Intifada. Uh, Mohammed, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. Oh, thank you. That's that's ill deserved, but we'll take it. Uh, and just to let everybody know, Mohammed is not Irish. I I that's what I picked up from listening to his accent. It was the first um, question he asked when he entered the Zoom. Was are you Irish? <laughs> <laughs> And then we continued to grill him on whether we should unite the kingdom. <laughs> that's right. Should Wales secede? Chime in. That's a good question. Um, that is an interesting question for an anti-imperialist. How you know how to how to take Scotland, Ireland, and Wales? You know, possibly breaking off from the UK. Uh, but uh, we won't grill you on that. We're not going to do that today. Any longer. We should get a different guest for that, probably. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, uh, that's, uh, I was actually having that conversation with somebody from Wales the, uh, the other day, but that, that'll probably lead us down a, a different rabbit hole. So. That probably like leads when, us down a different rabbit hole. Does this hole, happen often enough? Is it is it like the amount like people from California are like, we should just be California. <laughs> We're leaving. Or is it, or is it more practical than that? Well, there is an independence movement in Wales, or like a nationalist movement, um, obviously, but it's, I would say, stronger and better organized in Scotland and probably yeah. has a better chance of happening in Scotland, not least of which because of the Act of Union. And, and uh, But uh, there, there are obviously questions as to whether or not uh, a separate entity would A, be stronger or not just end up being a sort of vassal of a more powerful and more reactionary London, as it mm. were, uh, and wouldn't necessarily, you know, Wales that's independent wouldn't necessarily be a progressive Wales. You know, you have differing forces there. It's not just that automatically if Wales becomes a separate state that it will be some kind of um, radical or even progressive utopia. So Plaid Cymru, as they call it, may not necessarily be right. in charge. That's interesting. I would say it's a little different from California because California – was they were all sent as settlers from what was then the United States to California, whereas Wales, they were just there. They were then, there. Yeah. Arthur Pendragon. No one in California is afraid of Arthur Pendragon. <laughs> right. Uh, well, you know what is a uh, colony of the crown, formerly? Uh, Australia. And Facts. It's a, it's a little guy. It's true. Penal colony. Sorry. Right, and it because it's a penal colony, it produces outlaws, and one of those outlaws uh, should not be considered an outlaw, but he is by the crown and by Uncle Sam, one Assange, comma Julian, who Muhammad has been covering for a while. Um, what is the latest with this dude? You've written a lot about him. Uh, right now, things are not looking good. Not that they have been for the past like decade, but especially now. Things are looking um, grim for his his freedom and for the future of the First Amendment 
in the U.S. and as well as dissent in in the U.K. as well. You have an article in the dissenter. What's the latest on the uh, the Crown's courts? Andrew right. Williams. So uh, so that article that's in the dissenter, which is British High Court expands U.S. government's appeal in Assange extradition case. And that I is co-authored with Kevin Gostola of the dissenter. Okay, and we both covered it. He, he via video link in the U.S. and I uh, from across the uh, Royal Courts of Justice, but also via video link. Um, so before I, I discuss this latest development, I think it makes sense for a bit of background to see Sure. you know, what this uh, hearing was about. Um, last year, towards the end of the last year, or actually it was at the beginning of this year in January that uh, District Judge Vanessa Baratzer ruled that Julian Assange could, should not be extradited to the United States. And as I wrote uh, in Jacobin at the time, that the ruling is a victory for Julian Assange, but still a blow against free free press. And the reason for that is that the judge essentially sided with 90 or maybe 95 percent or if not more of the prosecution's case. So it's the U.S. government that is is represented with the assistance of the Crown Prosecution Service. Right. Mm. That's how it's happening in 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 the extradition hearings. And um she ruled against uh, the argument that it's a politically motivated prosecution, although even if it was, she argued or, or agreed with the, pro- with the prosecution argument that the, extra- the UK extradition treaty does not bar extradition for political offenses. She dismissed the argument that it was politically motivated as well. So those are two separate issues. And of course, it was argued that espionage is a clear political offense. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, also dismissed the free speech and human rights grounds that this would be an undue violation of the Article 10 of the European Convention of Human Rights, which guarantees the right to both receive and impart information. So think First Amendment, right? So, and uh, there were others. So she dismissed the relevance of the findings that a private security firm, UC Global, that was originally hired by the Ecuadorian government to protect Julian Assange and the embassy, ended up taking a second paycheck covertly from the US government, it it is believed to be the CIA, to actually spy on Julian Assange, uh, to spy on other people visiting him, including his lawyers and other journalists visiting him, to... um, mic up the inside of the embassy up to the point that when they suspected they were their conversations were being uh, intercepted, uh, Julian, along with his lawyers, went into the woman's bathroom in the Ecuadorian embassy, and they also mic'd that up via, I, th- I can't remember if it was via a fire extinguisher. Um, Whoa. When, this, is, uh, uh, this is grind culture at work. <laughs> this is a great example. If you can get two paychecks to both protect and bug your prisoner, do it if you can. Yeah, it's pretty. It's, it's pretty outrageous. I mean, there were. Uh, so what happened was there were two whistleblowers who came out, and they pointed out that there was. Uh, at one point, they went to Stella Morris, Julia Assange's uh, fiance, and told her, uh, "Don't take your baby to the embassy anymore, because there are uh, we're being." asked to retrieve your your infant's diapers 
so it can be tested for the DNA to see if it's Julian's child. She, she didn't even know who this person was. Someone just basically came up like, you don't know me, but I know you kind of thing. Right. Um, we're going to we're going to scan your baby. Just heads up. Don't ask who I am. <laughs> and um, so th- this was like the initial whistleblowing. Of course, uh, I don't know if you guys know, but you can't actually get DNA from the fe- from feces. But I but. Really? Obviously, Hasn't somebody. Them from trying it. We're not allowed to ask what they're doing with it. <laughs> they're just gonna take some feces. So it's both nefarious and at times incompetent as well. So it's those two things. It's sort of burn after reading uh, feel mm. to it at times. But um, but you know, of course, this scares the hell out of them. The fact that uh, at one point he had he was using a, a noise machine so that he could have private conversations. And one of the private security people was sent in to the embassy to place special stickers on the glass of the, the windows of, of, of the embassy so that laser mics, laser microphones could pierce through the windows, you know, from, a, from the building across where they were obviously stationed um, because the vibrations from the noise machine were causing the windows to uh, uh, vibrate. And all the conversations, including lawyer-client privilege conversations, were ultimately being live-streamed directly to the States. And this is all upon the request of the Americans. And apparently the Americans who were labeled the dark side in the witness statement, because (sighs) that's what the CEO had had come to to their staff and said, hey, guys, guess what? We're in the big leagues now. We're working for the dark side. Right. Just in case you were wondering if everyone is aware, if they know what they're doing, (laughs) it's a big joke over there. It it could not have been more explicit, right, in terms of, and and as these things increased, so they'd come back and they say, look, the Americans are very happy with what they're getting, but they want more. So mic this up, mic that room, give them a, you know, a live video feed. So everything we're getting, they're getting in real time. And the judge dismissed the relevance of all of this as well, right? Oh, there was also discussion about possibly poisoning Julian Assange and kidnapping him from the embassy. Yikes. And uh, so so this brings up lots of connections to the Daniel Ellsberg case. And mm. I actually wrote a, a piece in The Canary about how, uh, uh, was, it, was it on World Press Freedom Day, Julian Assange remains in Belmarsh Prison. Uh, but that basically looked at comparing key aspects of how the Daniel Ellsberg case was similar, although he was the whistleblower. Julian Assange is not even a U.S. citizen. He didn't leak anything. Right. He's a publisher and a journalist. Right. So to bring it up to, because we can go back into the details of, of other things that, that were revealed, but ultimately the judge in, in all that UC Global stuff said, hey, look, there's an ongoing criminal trial right now um, in Spain against the CEO of UC Global, David Morales, right? Hmm. So the Spanish are taking it seriously, right? Because a complaint was was made um, uh, and apparently violating lawyer-client privilege and spying upon the stuff is a criminal offense <laughs> that, that can be considered. What and the thought? judge was essentially saying, um, well, I don't want to preempt any finding in Spain, right? Also, we, we must assume that the Department of Justice will adhere to the standards of the rule of law, which means whatever the, the CIA are, are doing, they're not going to pass information on to the Department of Justice. And any information the DOJ has that is law or client privilege, obviously they can't present it in any future trial in the United States. So this isn't really relevant. Ask yourself, right? would She's the CIA like, break the law? 
Well, it was even if the CIA would, the DOJ wouldn't. Right. Right. So that mm. there's clearly going to be a firewall between the Department of Justice and the CIA. They would never use information improperly obtained. Um, so there are all kinds of issues with those arguments that people can imagine. But whatever, that's that's what she decided. What she did decide, however, is that uh, and uh, trigger warning, because I know this is going to raise an issue for you, Anders, that you've that <laughs> you've raised in the past. Yes. Um, but it is there. It's key. So I've got to, I've got to note it. Sure. Um, because Julian Assange was found to be on the albeit high functioning end of the autism spectrum, but nonetheless found to, to be on the, uh, on the spectrum. And because of his diagnosed, uh, recorded, uh, clinical depressive states, uh, and because of the conditions under which he would be held in the U S, uh, the judge was not convinced that uh, the Americans or that those combination of forces could be alleviated in such a manner as to prevent Julian Assange from self-harm or suicide. Put another way, in in more plain English, because that's not how my my brain was (laughs) saying that in the most comprehensible manner. Um, Basically, she ruled that Julian Assange was at a high risk of suicide if he would be sent to the United States. And the reason for that is because of his diagnosis and how his mind works, complying with the depression, being separated from any family support and being kept in some kind of solitary confinement hellhole in in the U.S., either pre-conviction or even post-conviction. And she was convinced that he would be held under certain conditions that uh, uh, notwithstanding the arguments again posed against that by the U.S. government. Uh, and it's also something called special administrative measures that she was convinced would most likely be applied to him. So she rejected all the freedom of speech, human rights arguments, essentially arguing that if he was perfectly healthy, she would have been happy to extradite him to the States. Hmm. Right. So that's why the, the case, my article that details her decision a Jacobin looks at says this is a victory for him, but a blow against a free press. So the U.S. government has appealed to the high court. So this was in the magistrates' court. The magistrates' courts are, are the main courts where most criminal trials are held, but also extradition cases. It's not a jury; it's either a single judge or like you know two magistrates and a judge or something like that. But in extradition cases, it'll be a judge. So the Americans have appealed. Uh, when I say Americans, people should know I'm always talking about governments, right? Unless yeah. otherwise stated, I'm not blaming. Well, I'm of- curious. So are they? Yeah. So they're coming into a British court, and like, not to get too technical, are they wearing the barrister robes and stuff, or they're wearing their suit and tie, or like, how does that? How does that even function if it's a British court but an American law and trying? Are they to- having a away jersey? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and they have to put on uh, posh English accents as though they went to Oxford as well. So they have all, to wear the wigs. It's all very strange. They have right? to like force themselves to eat fish and chips in front of. Yeah, What's and the you don't grossest? get to say you don't get to say your honor. You have to say your worshipfulness. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, so it's there during the key extradition hearings, there were Americans there. In fact, I had, uh, on the way to the toilet at one point and, uh, this is, this was last year doing some of the and main that means ext- bathroom in, uh, yes. in America. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When you first come to this country and then you ask, you know, go to, you're in a, a bar and you say, uh, Hey man, where's the bathroom? And they're like the bathroom. Like, why? What are you going to do in there? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, I've heard this now like 50 times. So eventually you learn to say toilet or loo. 
Yeah, I've been. I think it's fine. Yeah, I've been successfully conditioned. You know, I used to say sidewalk. Now I say pavement. I used to say trash can. Now I say uh, rubbish bin. All that stuff. It gets it gets browbeaten mm-hmm. into you. Right. I mean, yeah. I remember walk. I asked someone in Scotland if I could get a cup of coffee, and the scorn directed at me was just unlike anything I'd ever experienced. But then tea is just tea. It's the mm-hmm. exact opposite. What is coffee? I've never heard this. Coffee, one. They, there is no cof- it, coffee. Coffee. Have a slough of moist. They don't make. <laughs> they basically don't make drip coffee. It's just forms of espresso. Anyway. Oh bummer. Sorry. Oh right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think drip coffee isn't that like bad though. It's not like really bad tasting. <laughs> it it is. It is, but you become addicted to it and then can't imagine life without oh, it. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. I don't like Which is that. almost the same as alcohol, if you think about it. So no one should be on their high horse about this. I make my own cold brew, but that's for another episode. Um, to be to be clear, I uh, the Asperger's point, I think, uh, is a, an interesting one because, yeah, I'm on record. I think it's a bullshit diagnosis with autism. But if you have it, you got to <laughs> use it. Use it if you got it. That's that's what I would, would tell people. I wish I had used yeah. it more often. Uh, to get out of trouble at work and stuff. So it, whatever it takes to, you know, get out of jail, literally in this case, uh, throw it at the right. wall. Um, they couldn't extradite Julian Assange. He was at an increased risk of a phone scam <laughs> that the general population is not victim to. I mean, he's never going to wear that down, is he? Like, I still yeah. remember that, that right, episode. Ever. It's, I will bring it up every week until it's I It's good content. That's the, that's the silver lining. <laughs> Um, well, you need story arcs, right? You know, you right. can't just be those are for the premium followers, right? <laughs> people, people like me to have the inside track. That's right. Um, but yeah, um, how long has he? Like, I'm, I'm just trying to get the, a scale of time here. Mm-hmm. So, Julian Assange is a, an initial uh, leak that that began this whole back and forth legally. Uh, that's that's very old at this point, right? When is that? Like 2008. Yeah. So the uh, uh, should I just note the fact that the americans aren't arguing in court they've got british lawyers arguing on their behalf oh okay so just to answer anders Word. thing before i forget so that's Thank you. I, I, yes my my own adhd uh, you you guys will have to keep me on track actually possibly because <laughs> no, my riddle so we're will doomed have, we're doomed uh, will have expired okay. <laughs> earlier <laughs> i don't normally announce the fact is this going to be a premium episode i should have asked that first actually no nope. well, we could take that out though <laughs> <laughs> it's important stuff. Yeah, I could take it out later. But um, that's good. You know, we'll have this as as evidence. If you ever get prosecuted, they could say yeah, exactly. ADHD. That, that. Uh, but it is also worth noting that Dr. Dilly is one of the like foremost experts on on uh, autism here. So it's not like they just grab some like random dude who who. Uh, and um, but yeah, well, that's what uh, I'm worried about. Is they they find me and what I've said about it, and they use that as a co- counter evidence to uh, send Julian Assange to the United States. What man man diagnosed with autism says autism doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. I don't think even the Americans <laughs> as bad as their uh, and and we and we should go to actually some of their arguments in a bit. But yes. just to point out to to answer Alex's question, so all of uh, the or ninety nine percent of of everything in the indictment relates to um, WikiLeaks's and Julian Assange's role in obtaining and publishing classified or national def- national documents from 2009 to 2011 leaked to him by U.S. Army whistleblower Chelsea Manning. The publications are known 
collectively as the Iraq war logs, Afghanistan diaries, Guantanamo Bay DT&E files, and uh, U.S. diplomatic cables, which was also known as Cablegate, right? So nothing in relation to the election, nothing in relation the 2016 election, right? Um, and this is yeah. this is formally the court issue now because I know initially it was related to some uh, like private sex allegation in a different country. Sweden. And that was sex. Yeah, so yeah. The U.S. indictment has never had anything to do with the. Uh, so uh, originally there was a preliminary investigation into uh, uh, sex assault. Uh, uh, Allegations. There were no, there, the charges that hadn't been filed. Although you'll see the word charges appear a lot actually during that time period, where to face sex assault charges. And it's like no, right? And I can't tell you how many times I've had to. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I've written and other people have written, but you know that went around at the time. I think people who want to know more should see the interview about that, uh, but with Nils Melsner or Melzer, I should say, who is the UN expert on torture. They're called special rapporteurs, but that's just expert, right? And he's Swiss, um, but as it happens, is also fluent in Swedish. So was able to review, and he he has like a background in law. He was a, a, on the legal, like a key legal advisor in the, the National Security Council in Switzerland and, and with the Red Cross for many years, right? So he's a legal expert. He also teaches in Glasgow. He's a professor there or visiting professor while being a UN expert. And in that interview with Republic, which is a Swiss publication, he goes through what what others could have known if they wanted to spend the time and effort about the allegations, about how women had gone to uh, uh, the police to because they both found out they had slept with him. This is the original situation, right? And one wanted to see if they could compel him legally to take an HIV test before he left. And then something ends up happening in the police station where witness statements get rewritten by the police. Anyway, it's a whole it's a whole thing. And actually, Sweden has stringent victim protection rules. So now you can't you can't if I wanted to go and interview them, I don't believe I, I would be allowed to. I'd have to speak to this government appointment appointed representative. So anyway, if people want to know more, they should just read that that article because that details, you know, I wasn't there. I can't say what happened, but, but right. there, it does enlighten people, I think, a lot more to information that was not publicly known. Um, now, right. And it's important to know that, like, at the time, I remember Julian Assange was saying, I will, I'm willing to answer questions about this if it can be ensured that I'm not going to be extradited to the U.S. for this unrelated thing. Uh, and this, yeah. I think, speaks to a, a broader point about Julian Assange that a lot of people miss, even like leftists. It's like his, you know, behavior or his personality, his, you know, uh, political decisions in the 2016 election. Think but what you will about them. That doesn't really matter. That's missing the point to get caught up in that stuff. This is about the right to dissent against yeah. the government, the right, right to expose right. war crimes. And the the consequences of this trial directly affect anyone who speaks out against uh, what the government is doing. So to, to like do the moral posturing of, mm, is he a good person? What did he, you know, did he do the right thing in 2016? That it, that's a, that's a red herring. I, I yeah, of course, yeah. it's irrelevant. Yeah. And that's also it's deliberate. Worth pointing out. I think right. that's deliberate. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. You were saying, Alex? I, 
I just wanted to say it's worth pointing out by contrast to just keep just keep your eye on the ball on this. Not only did this happen, you know, 10 years ago, he he's in Europe and he's going through this whole court battle the entire time is kept essentially in quarantine 10 times longer than you were last year. But the contrast to that on the other end of the imperial stick for, you know, the people they did successfully catch while he is trying to stay out of uh, out of jail Chelsea Manning is being like put in a hole and kept for years. So the 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 lesson is going to be put out until uh, the point is made. Like if you leak any documents against Empire, we're going to get you. Yeah, and then if you're never going to stop. Yeah, and if you consider publishing them as a as a journalistic outlet, you, we will also come after you, right? Right. Using um so uh using extraterritorial application of the law, which is a key thing for people to understand. He's he, he's not a U.S. citizen. WikiLeaks is not based in the United States. He never took an oath of allegiance to the CIA or to the Pentagon or whatever, and uh, what have you. He never signed a non-disclosure agreement, was not even physically in the United States when all the publications were made, and yet U.S. law is being sought to be applied to a journalist and publisher for his publishing activities outside of the united states and it's i mean it it imagine if it was inverted say in relation to china that i had received or you had received documents exposing various internal activities of the chinese military and chinese government and some of it related to human rights abuses and torture and what have you and you publish that in the united states and then let's say you were visiting the philippines and china's like hey we've got an extradition treaty with the philippines uh, we would now like to say that we're going to argue that you violated our espionage laws, which are are supposedly about espionage, as a result of your journalistic publishing in the United States. And that is literally what's happening. But in relation to the US and UK, so it's really quite they're saying that any journalist anywhere in the world is capable of violating uh, the Espionage Act, which supposedly was about espionage right. and not about journalism and no publish. Sure, has ever been prosecuted under the Espionage Act before. Right. In that uh, hypothetical uh, scenario, by the way, I would 100% be like, I am autistic. I cannot help but leave <laughs> information. I have no uh, way of judging what is classified and what is not. Uh, yeah. But Who the am I? China <laughs> wouldn't possibly yeah. jail an autistic man, would they? <laughs> but Can I the, just make one quick point on the Sweden sure, sure. thing? Yeah. So uh, just very quickly – his even the Ecuadorian former Ecuadorian foreign minister. This is before the change of government with the the right wing government. Well, the pretend left wing government that shifted, mm. turns out that he ended up violating every single campaign promise, including agreeing with the Americans to kick out Assange, following an IMF deal of like a billion or two billion or whatever it was uh, being agreed with the Trump administration. Um, but. Uh, the former foreign minister of Ecuador had explicitly said, look, we had multiple contacts with the Swedes and the British saying, if you can have an agreement, written agreement uh, that he won't be extradited to the United States, then he will agree to leave the embassy and go to Sweden. So the, the Ecuadorians were trying to negotiate either the prosecutor coming to the embassy and interviewing Julian Assange, which they had done in other cases, Right. Or, and the alternative, just have an agreement because he was told that what happened was he was effectively tipped off that there was a secret indictment against him in the US and that if he returned to Sweden, that that would be a prelude for him to be rendered to the US. 
because it'd be easier for him to be basically covertly and quietly sent off to the U.S., where, where Swedish courts would be more willing or, or pliable uh, than, than from the U.K. So that was the argument. Now, of course, 10 years later, what ends up happening when he's dragged out of the embassy? And of course, during that time, people were saying there's no evidence of an indictment. This is all in your head. You're just arguing this as an excuse not to go to Sweden. Um, and all those offers were rejected by the British and the Swedish government, the private discussions between the Ecuadorian government. And then, of course, as soon as he's pulled out, there's a one charge indictment, which very quickly gets modified to an 18 charge indictment amounting up to 175 years in prison if he's found guilty on them. And uh, we could discuss the charges, but these are strict liability offenses. Your motives do not matter. You won't be able to argue yes. But the reason I published these documents is because the prosecution will stand up and say objection, motive is irrelevant, and the judge will say sustained, right? Mm. Did you get this document? Yes, that's 10 years. That's guilty. It do, you don't need to prove harm has occurred. It doesn't matter what they talk about, about harm has or hasn't occurred. Or what they, The prosecutor could literally stand up and say, we now accept not a single human being has been harmed by any of these publications. But that's irrelevant because you don't need to prove harm to secure a conviction. Right. So that's the frightening. There is no public interest defense and, and motives are irrelevant and harm need not be proven. So, yeah. yeah, you were saying, Andrew, sorry, I just wanted well, to emphasize. No, that's a good point, because that's similar to what's happening with, with Daniel Hale, revealed, if you remember, in 2015, 90% of drone strike casualties are not people with anything to do with, quote-unquote, terror or violence of any kind. Um, and- Which is like, if you think of how a drone works... For you to actually believe the narrative that everyone in the explosion is involved, it's an explosion. Right. <laughs> How do you think it works? Think about it for five seconds. Right. The way yeah. they think it works the way it does in Hollywood films, which is like the bad guy is smoking a cigarette in the Humvee driving away laughing while somebody yeah, else yeah, is, yeah. is saying like, we got him, boys. <laughs> bad guys are always squatted up is the thing. They're, they're never around children. They're always, it's like them, five of their most evil friends, they're playing cards. Cards, they're laughing. They're saying a slur you're not allowed to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe and, uh, one hot yeah, girl and, who gets away. Yeah, yeah and if, if, a, if a civilian is killed, it's because a child randomly runs into the road chasing a ball, and then the car has to stop. And then they're like, should we abort? No, it's too late. Right. And then everyone's very upset about it. And then Whereas, the child really sticks with them. And then the child has a gun. It turns out. Specifically, <laughs> as we know, that is right, Anders, but specifically, as we know from the Daniel Hale thing, uh, it clearly is not sitting on anybody's consciousness too much because the people do, do it, making the targets know they're hitting almost exclusively civilians right. the entire and time. That, well, the, and the point of bringing that up is that they have no argument similarly. They have no argument of harm, right? Who did this harm? This embarrassed John Brennan and Barack Obama. That's it. There's no legal structure right. for public interest. There is only legal structure for uh, continuing power and empire. Yeah. I also want to ask about the, the Espionage Act because I feel like a lot of Americans know it's an old law from World War One. Must be for you know. There, I'm sure there were mustachioed Germans parachuting into New York to steal secrets. It must be to take care of them. The enemy, uh, but what is the Kaiser Wilhelm sympathizers? Right. They're sending yes. He said it's to to stop the carrier pigeons that are coming from Kaiser Wilhelm's hat over to the United States <laughs> to steal documents from DC. 
Uh, but what was the real impetus behind the Espionage Act and why should it, it – why is repealing it long overdue? Right. So the Espionage Act of 1917, uh, which was also then amended and made even more severe by the Sedition Act of 1918, which would later be repealed. Um, so the, even there were even more extreme provisions. It came about uh, during World War I. Uh, Woodrow Wilson um, was originally elected on the basis that he opposed U.S. involvement in the First World War and then would ultimately reverse course. Um, And they worked on the first major uh, propaganda statewide, modern propaganda campaign in history where countries around the world learned, you know, how you can massively take an anti-war or anti-interventionist population and indoctrinate them to the point uh, that they're like rapidly support, not only supporting the war, but like, in, in the case of the U.S., in the First World War, they're burning German books. People are changing their last name, towns, cities, uh, streets, uh, changing all their Germanic names. Uh, uh, German stops being taught in school. <laughs> uh, German, which was, I think, the one of the most widely spoke or taught second languages in yeah. the U.S. is like, I don't know how much. I think the largest even. white ethnicity in the U.S. is German. Yeah. No one is talking about this. <laughs> yeah. So it was an amazing, like almost creation of a, of a modern racism, like we saw with Islamophobia. Although once it, well, like we've seen with Islamophobia since the war on terror, right? Where, because yeah. it serves an interest. Although after World War I, it sort of dissipated and it was almost forgotten. And they clearly chose not to rehash that in the Second World War, even though it was Nazis. <laughs> so, yeah. so all the things they were saying in World War One could easily apply. I mean, yeah, they actually, well, they got a lot <laughs> out on the Japanese. At all exactly. They did end up doing with the Japanese, but they went out of their way not to do that with Germans. Like, mm. no, there's a difference between being German and being a Nazi. And many Germans are anti-Nazi and anti-fascist. So it shows that nuance is possible if they so choose. Right. But anyway, in that environment, you had loads of people who opposed U.S. involvement in World War One, especially socialists and communists, but also others. And uh, and so this was, I suppose you could talk about it as the during the first Red Scare, so it was well before McCarthyism, the first massive purges of the left, of the organized left, organized labor, um, you know, tens of thousands of people's lives ruined, probably more than that. And a law was passed so as ultimately so as to prevent, okay, in part to deal with espionage. And there will be certain provisions there that, you know, that deal with people um, passing on state secrets to like German spies. I mean, they won't say specifically German, but you know what I mean? To was spies. that actually happening at, at, like in some capacity? Yeah, I'm not aware if it was actually happening. I think it was just to deal with the possibility, which okay. I suppose makes sense. You want to yeah. make sure that it is illegal to pass on information to a country that you're at war. Right. <laughs> Legally, uh, they caught a lot of German spies. I have the papers. Oh, really? Well, I know they did in World War II, but that was like you don't need an extra law for this. It's like if, if you're coming to sabotage the United States, I'm, I'm pretty sure – you're okay uh, prosecuting that person. You don't need this extra. Yeah. Sure. Right. We, yeah. We've talked about this on the show before. I remember covering this in the IWW episode we did a few years ago. And the uh, obvious, you know, cause and effect of the espionage passing and then the breaking of the initial socialist movement in the United States is a pretty straight line. But I think what people forget to realize is that this law did not leave the books right. and is still very much in play now. Yes. And, um, Mohammed, you you spoke with a former CIA officer whistleblower 
for Jacobin a few months ago, and he was held under the Espionage Act. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, well, uh, just to mention, that, so Daniel Hale, since you mentioned him, mm-hmm. he was charged and pro- tried in the Eastern District of Virginia and charged under the Espionage Act, right? And I should point out that during World War One, three at least 3,000 Americans were tried, arrested, prosecuted, and convicted under the Espionage Act for their speech crimes, for their opposition to U.S. involvement in World War One, And this was consistently tested. There were loads of cases that went up to the federal Supreme Court, and they consistently found that the Espionage Act, they considered it to be constitutional. Um, and in the famous case, Snack v. USA, um, Oliver Wendell Holmes, a guy that I was raised, at least, you know, going through law, because I studied, I went to law school, is one of these great progressive judges, is one of the most progressive U.S. courts, supposedly, right? Louis Brandeis and all these others. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes uh, gave the, the majority decision or the unanimous decision, which is often summarized as uh, free speech does not give you the right to yell fire in a crowded theater. So mm-hmm. ironically, people keep quoting that, but that comes, the, the fire was a uh, snack going around handing notes to, I think it was, was it um, y- uh, fellow Yiddish people? I mean, Yiddish is a, is a language, so it's like Eastern uh, Eastern European uh, Jewish. Ashkenazi. Yiddish people. Yeah, uh, but it was specifically Eastern European, I think. It, but whatever, he was going to people saying, hey, don't join this war. The, you know, we should be opposing this war. We're, you know, Eugene Debs also was imprisoned uh, uh, right. under the Espionage Act for a speech he gave saying basically working class people uh, are the ones who are forced to fight and die. So they should be the ones who, who decide whether they go. And he was uh, pro- tried and convicted under the Espionage Act. So actually, when people use that expression, it wasn't, as I had once thought, a case about somebody literally yelling fire unnecessarily in a crowded theater. The fire was, we should not join the war. And so that's the background. Daniel Hale. uh, So this then this law is basically forgotten for many years, by the way. It's not used for many years. And then Richard Nixon. Yeah, I think it's what, like 12 people before, what is, you know, the past 10, 20 years only 12 people had been prosecuted with it in like American history, right? Something like well, that. Well, no, you had like 3,000 plus during World War oh, One, okay. right? <laughs> right? Right. So during that More time, period, you had loads, all those people being arrested for opposing the war, right? And successfully convicted and their convictions were upheld by court after court after court, uh, which is quite frightening. So that's, uh, but then it then, you know, years passed by, the Sedition Act is actually then repealed, which made it even more extreme. We won't go into like, what was also done with the Sedition Act and spying on Post and and shutting down magazines and all the rest of it that was also done. Um, uh, eventually, Eugene Debs, I can't remember if he was pardoned at some point, so he didn't end up, but he ran for president from prison and got like right. over a million votes, which yep. is quite impressive. No Twitter, no social media. Yeah. Um, and a far smaller population uh, in the United States than there is now. And then uh, decades later pass, Richard Nixon ends up using the Espionage Act to go after a whistleblower, uh, uh, Daniel Ellsberg, who I interviewed for that piece I told you about at the Canary to compare his case to that of Julian Assange. And uh, his case falls apart because of all the, the malfeasance that was revealed, the fact that the FBI broke into or hired people to break into his psychiatrist's office to get blackmail material to blackmail him with and smear him with, uh, the fact that a, a cute right-wing Cuban gangs who are linked to the plumbers uh, who broke into Watergate and possibly people who may or may not have uh, also had a role in assassinating JFK, but I won't go into that, uh, were 
also like beat him up on the orders of various people in the Nixon administration, like constructed a mob, like a fake mob to like go and attack him. And actually the judge ended up being offered in order to not throw out the case as being, you know, unduly poisoned by all this corrupt behavior. Um, the judge was even offered the directorship of the FBI by, I think it was Ella Rickman, basically private conversation, right? If you, if you keep this case going, we'll make you FBI director. So sweet gig. Yeah, exactly. Anybody would want that gig. So that's the only reason Ellsberg wasn't convicted, right? Because huh. the case fell apart, not because the jury said, oh, you have revealed the crimes of the Viet- against the Vietnam and what have you. It's because the judge said, no, we can't continue with this case because there's just too much. It's been poisoned right. by too much. Mr. Ellsberg, you proved rock and roll correct. Exactly. Truth wins out. <laughs> so not a man in this country would convict you. Then, then after that, uh, you have like one or two prosecutions against whistleblowers by the Bush administration, and then Obama comes along, and and the Obama administration prosecutes more whistleblowers under the Espionage Act than all previous administrations combined. That's so that's, right. a former that's what I was thinking of with the, um, that inter- it was the interregnum between World War One and. Obama, yeah. Obama, Bush, yeah, exactly. And then, uh, then now is not even being used against a whistleblower; is being used against Julian Assange as a publisher and journalist based outside of the United States. Now, to go to your question about so all these cases, by the way, they're all held, they're all uh, to be held, they're all filed. The charges are filed in the Eastern District of Virginia. So the case against uh, Edward Snowden is filed in the Eastern District of Virginia. Um, the case against Jeffrey Sterling, a former CIA officer, that uh, uh, intelligence officer who specialized on the Iran desk. He studied Farsi and um, he had brought a, a basically a race discrimination claim against the CIA as, as, a, as a, one of the few African-Americans there. He felt he was being discriminated against. And the case was thrown out on national security grounds. So it's not that he lost it. It was like a whole thing of the U.S. government's like, we can't defend this case without revealing national security. Right? So racism, potential racism. <laughs> we can't let the public find out we're racist. There's <laughs> exactly. too much at stake. Our reputation <laughs> means everything to us. Um, and then... Just a federal court collectively being like, we're going to pretend you didn't say that. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, uh, so that was also to be held in the... So, sorry, I haven't mentioned that yet. So, he ends up leaving. Uh, then 9-11 happens, rejoins uh, the CIA. Um, there is, a, there is a, a, a plan to target Iran with a covert op. And he raises concerns that actually, that there are certain key things that, that may end up blowing back up in people's faces and could lead to U.S. casualties and, and what have you, that there's certain things that they seem to have missed. Now, of course, in retrospect, he thinks, oh, maybe those, those errors were deliberately built in. But, but you know, I don't know if we discussed that in the Jacobin piece. Um, so he raises it via pre ordained mechanisms preordained pre-designed <laughs> mechanisms to to not even like he wasn't thinking of himself as a whistleblower to basically go to the senate intelligence committee uh, uh people who are pre-cleared to hear classified data this was deliberately set up the way the way chelsea manning and daniel hale are accused of not doing right and uh he had had a discussion with uh, certain senate members and it went nowhere now 
He meanwhile, he he's also ends up speaking to a reporter, former New York Times reporter, now with The Intercept, uh, uh, James Risen, who is doing a piece pieces about his lawsuit. But of course, Risen is also doing national security report reporting and ends up publishing ultimately a story about this botched uh, op against Iran. Right. Which backfired. Now, the Americans or the CIA end up later claiming years later that um, so first he's investigated, but the investigation goes nowhere. I think the FBI or whoever it was or the DOJ like investigate. And they said there's, there's nothing there is a thorough investigation. Uh, but ultimately, then charges become rebrought against him where another investigation happens. And he's he's basically charged with violating the Espionage Act by leaking to James Risen, which he says to this day, he says, I never did. And he says, in fact, there was a staffer at the Senate in the Senate, like a Senate staffer who was previously dismissed for leaking information to journalists. And think I think possibly even to James Risen. <laughs> Right. And he right. was there or one of the staffers that was connected to the people that he had originally raised his concerns with. So but that apparently was was not, you know, I don't know. It, it just it seems that maybe they just wanted to get uh, 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 right. Sterling. I mean, it seems like a tangent, but I just think it's worth bringing up that he does two and a half years, you know, fast forwarding a bit. Uh, they eventually get through and they managed to use the Espionage Act against him. And you have a case where, you know, he claims he didn't leak anything and the anti-leak law is still absolutely valuable as a threat against anybody we want. And the the proper channels are essentially like, I can't, I'm just brain poisoned from comedy, but I can't stop thinking of like, if you'd like to do our show, go to our email we never check. Yeah, yeah. Or, (laughs) Or even worse, where we check, because this happens here as well. I know people, you know, people who blown the whistle in the tax authority where they were seeing deals being made with these massive like Goldman Sachs and Vodafone for like billions and billions of pounds where they were caught avoidance, not ev- sorry, evasion, not just avoidance, right? actual criminal evasion. And they were being told, no, you don't even have to pay it all back. You can pay it back in installments and a smaller amount than you actually stole. And they blew the whistle using the internal mechanisms and then they got their lives destroyed. So it's almost like, yes, come give us your names so, yes, that, so yeah, we yes. can destroy you. If you have a problem, you don't need to take this to the press. Just go to warcrimes.us.gov <laughs> and we are happy to look into any of those for you. That cannot be done intentionally. Pass on your name, your date of birth, yeah. your address, your social security <laughs> number. And we'll be Make sure. sure you include your greatest fear and we will get back to you soon. And well, this uh, actually- if you were to be locked in a box with, filled with cockroaches, uh, how would that impact <laughs> upon your mental health? There's <laughs> a whole multiple choice of boxes right. you can take. Do you have cockroach phobia? Because we might be able to get you out of that. Yes, uh, I see. Well, this brings me to a, a spicy... You're in an apartment in New York City, am I right? <laughs> Folks, thanks for listening. I have a, I have a spicy question here. So, Go ahead. Uh, Daniel Hale, Dear God. both Daniel Hale and Reality Winner, and I think there are a couple other sources uh, for The Intercept who have been apprehended after leaking. Um, and, you know, I've heard some people suggest that, oh, The Intercept bungles this stuff. They don't know what they're doing. They're an incompetent... Outlet. How much truth is there to that? Or, or is it, uh, you know, should we, how much should we consider the fact that when you're working in national security, quote unquote, and you leak something, no matter who you're leaking it to, the window of like not getting caught is pretty infinitesimally small. 
Yeah, so I think that's an excellent question. On uh, I can't. <laughs> You're one. Uh, I can't. Uh, you know, I'm not prepared to like declare that the Intercept, as a, a, a magazine or as an institution, is incapable of protecting any of its sources. Uh, I, you know, I think uh, you know Glenn Greenwald has been has has pointed out that like uh, there were mistakes that were made and that shouldn't have been made. Although, and it's also debatable whether or not Reality Winner ended up actually being identified to anything that the intercept did uh even though they did do things that they shouldn't have done hmm. um or the people in you know the pe- the specific people working at the intercept who were dealing with her case right so like uh but i think the the second part so a know the journalists you're dealing with and try to check out their reputation right like right. have have they have is every single source that this journalist has ever had, are they always being brought up on charges, you know? Um, uh, but the other thing is, look, you're dealing with a system which, which, as as Edward Snowden points out in Citizen Four, a documentary that literally every single human being should watch, by far away, Laura Proitis's best documentary, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, whose reach is is massive when they're talking about the national security agency and all the other spy agencies that work with it but whose like regulations or controls are almost non-existent so you have multiple spy agencies which also engage in domestic uh spying you have um also techniques of of you know if these are on computers there will be digital records most people are not so tech savvy as to be able to hide their identity when downloading information because anytime you download information from anywhere a record is made of it right so uh their entire teams of people whose sole purpose in life will be to find out who detected what so as mm-hmm. you know you have to have you have to be prepared for the possibility the very real possibility that uh even if you've got the best journalist and journalistic outlet that you're dealing with in the world, that you will ultimately be caught, right? So that's something you should consider, try to make plans, you know, family plans and all the rest of it in advance. Because uh, uh, if you do leak, there is a high possibility of getting, of being found out. There's a record Uh, for everything. I mean, that was the point of the NSA leak. I do, I have fantasies all the time. Like I'll do one really good podcast episode and then suddenly get a, uh, multi-year charge for torrenting Naruto when I was 13. <laughs> There's a record of that somewhere. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Have you checked the statute of limitations on that? You I should, have so not. You don't have that and fear. for the listener, that was a joke. I have never torrented Naruto, the hit <laughs> children's show for boys. Yeah. I think that, yeah, the lesson here is don't leak to Poddam America. No. Uh, we right. would love- Don't email us at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, do email us at Podamamerica classified information we will protect dot gmail. Jakeflores.com. How do we want to close out here? Oh, wait, should I just say, so in the hearing, there was appeal hearing at the high court, which was originally yeah. the reason that you asked me over here, right? So the U.S. government appealed the judge's refusal to extradite them. They argued a number of things, including you've applied the wrong test, the wrong legal test, um, the, you know, that you you put too much weight on, on the defense's medical experts and not enough on our medical experts who argued that he... he 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 is at increased risk of suicide, but not necessarily high 
as defined, you know, in the law or whatever, or as we think the law explicitly defines. Uh, although you think that the judge is permitted to ultimately agree more with one set of experts than another, right? Um, they they went to the high court and the high court uh, agreed to allow a couple of their their grounds of appeal to be argued in October. Then they appealed again because the judge refused, the high court judge refused two grounds of appeal. One of the ones they wanted to challenge the the weight that the judge gave to to one of the key psychiatric uh, test expert testimony, who who said that Julian Assange is at very high risk of committing suicide if extradited, uh, and they also yeah wanted to challenge this point that the judge gave too much weight to one group of of experts and not enough to another, which basically just sounds like they want to relitigate the case, but before judges who haven't heard two years worth of of evidence and testimony, and at this last high court hearing. The, the, the two different high court judges said, yes, the American government can appeal on all the grounds that it wants to appeal on. It doesn't mean that they will win, but they permitted them to appeal on them. And, and that's the piece that uh, Kevin Gastola and myself uh, published uh, via the dissenter that people can check out just to see the, those details. Yeah, uh, we'll link to that for sure. Um, what, what do you think the... So it is a pretty high probability now that Assange will get extradited. Like what what are your sort of predictions going forward, if any? I mean, you know, there's both a legal and a political case. Right. So the more political pressure that can be placed on the U.S. government, the more likely that they may at some point just decide to at least stop appealing or, or not continue the more pressure that is placed on on members of parliament will increase the possibility of that pressure being placed on the British government, right, the executive branch, on Boris Johnson or whoever's prime minister. The more they put on on him or the PM, then the more there is on the Americans to say, look, you're cause, this is causing me political, sufficient domestic political issues now. You've made your point. Can you just drop this? Because mm-hmm. it's looking very embarrassing how, I, how our government is supporting this. Right. So there's that side of it. On the legal side, They've got their arguments to make at the high court, but even if they win, the the defense want to file a cro- they filed a notice for, of a cross appeal because they want to appeal the grounds that they lost on all those points that I raised before about you know um, politically motivated prosecution, political charges, violation of you know freedom of speech, et cetera, et cetera, um, and that may have to also be independently dealt with by the high court. The high court said, we'll look at those arguments afterwards, after we deal with the American appeal. Then either side has a potential appeal to the UK Supreme Court. So even if the US government loses at the high court, they could still seek permission to apply the, uh, to appeal to the Supreme Court. And potentially at least Julian Assange, if he loses all the way to the Supreme Court, uh, because these are also legal arguments, not just you know factual ones, like what does the law say? What should the law be? then he has at least potentially an appeal all the way to the European Court of Human Rights. But only individuals can apply there. So the U.S. government wouldn't be able to argue that their human rights are violated by Hmm. refusing to extradite. So their case would end at the U.K. Supreme Court. So unfortunately, you know, whatever is decided now, it does not guarantee that there isn't just another appeal by either side. Meanwhile, Julian Assange is being kept in 
uh, one of the UK's maximum security prisons where people who are convicted of terrorism and, you know, serial killing and what have you are kept. And bear in mind, this is pretrial detention. He's not being kept there because he's convicted of anything. He's being kept there because the judge says, oh, we think that uh, he might try to abscond. Of course, they argue, look, now he's got a fiance and two children. He didn't have that before. Uh, and before, anyway, he got a asylum at the Ecuadorian embassy. He didn't just like run away somewhere. Mm-hmm. He got something which is a recognized right under international law. Uh, but anyway, that's, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. They'll probably apply for bail after whatever decision is made at the high court on the 27th and the 28th of October. You heard it here, folks. That's the Pod Damn America prediction of the week. <laughs> Julian Assange kept in a jail only for Australians. <laughs> Uh, well, well, thank you so much for joining us, and and let's, uh, you know, thank you for keeping people updated. Check in with Mohammed for the latest. Again, this is a big deal um, to anybody who speaks out against Western imperialism, really, because it's not just the U.S. It's our allies. It's, um, yeah, this is a a very important case uh, that we should keep monitoring. Um, but where can people monitor you? in a non-invasive way on social media. Well, whether one considers social media non-invasive, I suppose, is a matter of perspective. Right. But uh, at, not, at, not including our, uh, yes, our government listeners, the, the just the fans. Right. Yes, exactly. They're, they're uh, already subscribed. Right. <laughs> at M. Elmazi. So M for Mohammed. Elmazi is just my last name. Um, and I publish via, like, I think you guys already said, Jacobin, The Dissenter, The Canary, uh, electronic intifada i'm covering like palestinian well direct action here against weapons manufacturers like an israeli weapon ma- manufacturer here called palestine action and there's all kinds of trials going on with them so that's a separate group of things that i've been focusing on um by the way uh, i don't know if i should mention this because i know you guys will have to go and uh, it's also late here but uh you guys are aware that um one of the key witnesses in the indictment against Julian Assange is uh, the FBI informant. It was revealed is a guy who has had multiple embezzlement and fraud convictions, as well as multiple convictions and years imprisonment for obtaining sex with minor boys. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, um, wow. Uh, through like, yeah. So that, that's, this came out. I don't know if that if you guys were aware of that, but that's a pretty big deal. Uh, at, at the time, where like, let's see, let me see if I can get Kevin one. Spacey? Does that just like not affect your your? Uh, I don't know your your in court uh, testimony at all. If you are like a, a known sicko, is there a sicko clause? <laughs> well, there was it, there was in in the charge that had that was not Espionage Act related. When they're trying to say uh, conspiracy to to, to to hack or whatever, but it's not actually a hacking charge. So that's even misrepresented in the press often. Um, they There is an unnamed person, an unnamed informant, who, who basically alleged that Julian Assange, uh, basically to bolster the argument that Julian Assange was be, worked, went beyond the actions of a mere journalist, right? That he was working, conspiring to hack into like members of parliaments, emails, things like that. And the judge quoted this in her ruling when she was like, oh, well, you know, here's a perfect example of allegations which would show that Julian Assange uh, is not protected by what we'd call First Amendment or Article 10 rights because he did X, Y, and Z, or at least it's alleged he did. 
Well, now we know only very recently, only from like a month ago, from this uh, detailed report in the Icelandic paper, Stunden, that uh, Sigurd Thordeson, uh, uh, this one-time WikiLeaks volunteer turned FBI informant, uh, is actually uh, the person who is being used by the FBI to bolster their indictment against him. So for an example, he was sentenced to eight months in prison in 2013 for soliciting sex from a minor, 2015 sentenced to three years for similar conduct towards nine boys, most of them aged between 15 to 17, offering them money, cars, and properties in exchange for sex. He would later modify his name legally after he got out. He admitted in a detailed article with Stunden that he had lied about everything he said about Julian Assange, uh, and that was just about securing immunity from the FBI in exchange for his testimony. Uh, this um, is getting real Epstein adjacent yeah. as we go. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> alive we didn't and mention he's... That. I just wanted to mention well, that because I don't know how much coverage it got. His um, argument is that WikiLeaks is not journalistic, right? That's one of my favorite Joe Biden gaffes of all time is in 2010, 2011, when WikiLeaks, the first big, uh, I think it was, yeah, the Chelsea Manning leaks. You're uh, listening to Andrew's top gaffes. <laughs> Joe Biden went on Meet the Press or one of those Sunday shows, and they're asking him, how, what are you going to do about WikiLeaks? Are you going to go after them legally? And he's like, well, we have to be careful with it. You know, you're you're a member of the press. If I just give you this. And so he basically said and i wonder if this is going to come up in julian assange's defense he, he basically referred to wikileaks as a member of the press and i could like hear everyone in the obama white house just slapping their Joe. yeah like god they're gonna put us on anders gaff of the week <laughs> gaff of the decade baby <laughs> yeah he, he he keeps doing those like when he once did he spoke at a university and and noted that like saudi arabia that they were getting quite annoyed that saudi arabia wasn't supporting the right the correct reaction in Syria, to, they're like, oh, and they're supporting ISIS and these other groups, and and we were trying to say like, hey, that's not on. Uh, and then he went on like some kind of a short apology tour, saying, oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> um, fantastic, which is like, okay, uh, you know, Vice President of the United States admits that key ally in war in Syria is backing ISIS. Although to be fair, Turkey is is neck deep in in that, probably on a certain level, even more than Saudi Arabia was. But yeah, there you go. Joe Biden, President of the United States. All right. You heard it here, folks. Um, all right. It's time to wrap up. Uh, cool. you, can follow, you can find me on Twitter at Patak Test Kitchen. Andrews, do you have anything to share with our lovely fans? At Andrews Lee here on Twitter. Redacted Tonight is the other show I'm on. Check that on YouTube, portable.tv. And last but not Andrews Least, on 910. In New York City at Caveat NYC, we will be doing a live show, and it's going to be a shit ton of fun, 9-11 Eve, bring the kids, bring the wife, uh, get tickets online, Caveat NYC. That's far from Anders' least. Please, please do that. <laughs> Go ahead. Click the link. We're going to bring it up until it happens, folks. All right. And until then, uh, Muhammad, again, thank you for coming on. And as we say every week, it's finished. <laughs>